Hello and welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Porter, and I'm joined this week by guest host, Tom Mannering. How you doing? You've been on the show before, Tom, haven't you? Yeah. Good, good to have you back. So, what are we going to be talking about this week, Tom? Uh, Entry-level gaming. Yep. Big deal. No matter what you play, I think. It's essential. Yeah, absolutely. So, we're going to dive into that a little bit later on, but first, uh, we're going to do our weekly roundup. So, what's been happening in the realm of gaming? Um, so, we got quite a few bits and pieces coming up. Yep. Uh, we've got uh, the Dominara from Magic. Yep, that's uh, the new expansion, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's a new expansion going back to the, I think it's the original World of Magic, where it all began. Okay. Well, they've, they've been doing this quite a bit, haven't they, with Magic uh, revisiting old realms? Yeah, I they're guess. really big on kind of getting back to their roots, I think, with the, yeah. the recent sets. And I suppose, looking at it from a business perspective, it's it's a bit more cost effective to stuff's already there. <laughs> yeah, to to introduce old material to people that have never seen it. Yeah, I mean, loads of companies have done it before. Wizards yeah. are quite notorious for it in in the best possible way. Yeah. I mean, they do it with the the D and D, uh, and they've always been quite good for jumping back to their old content and yeah, updating it. I suppose. So I, I, our our very own Josh and Callum are at a pre-release event for that this weekend uh don't know quite what's involved in it uh not being a magic player myself but i'm a i'm a filthy casual so okay. i only know i only know bits and pieces but from from what i can see it looks like an interesting set it's it's caught my eye a bit more than the last couple have but it, it looks like they're kind of bringing back a few of the old characters from the lore and, and revisiting sure. their adventures so i'm sure the guys will enjoy it yeah i, ha- I have noticed that they they seem to be trying to reinforce the the lore and the fluffy element to the game a bit more of late like the um the Ixalan expansion yeah was one of the first that i looked at and thought mm, maybe that's maybe. The dinosaurs is it dinosaurs and yeah. uh, vampire conquistadors yeah 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 that was it. pirates as well i think yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. J- just about everything that yeah. is awesome yeah, was in like, that it was shoehorned in surprised there were no ninjas just to kind of round it out yeah well, <laughs> oh yeah you can well, you can't have everything yeah, can well. you Tell what you get. But so that is taking place this weekend. I think the pre-release is this weekend. Yeah. The full release will be next weekend. So when this goes live, it will be in full swing. Yeah, they'll they'll be wrapping up the pre-release. Yep. About now. Um, and not this weekend, but so it's Saturday the twenty eighth. Yep. International Tabletop Day. Yeah, big one. Yep. Apparently so. Loads of companies bringing out their uh, their free come and play this game and try it out and uh, getting people to dip their toes in so I know um, Paizo have got some really cool stuff coming out for it uh, for Pathfinder and Starfinder mm-hmm. um, so I can't remember the name of the Starfinder one but I know the Pathfinder one is We Be Super Goblins okay. uh, which is all about playing goblins which has kind of always been their theme for the tabletop day releases mm-hmm. um, and they did uh, We Be Goblins We Be Goblins Free, we be goblins, we be four goblins as well, okay. uh, and now they've got we be super goblins. So you yeah. play a bunch, you play a bunch of goblins who've got like quasi deity powers, uh-huh. uh, and another cover out's kind of four goblins flying on this like gigantic bird of paradise. So it looks looks interesting. Yeah, so it's, it's a bit of fun. It's a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah. it's always the the same four goblins that feature in it. Uh, they're part of a tribe. Uh, and one's called Chuffy because that's one I usually play whenever I run him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a rogue. There's uh, one that's got a wedding veil on. 
she's not top of bride. <laughs> um, uh, they're interesting characters, um, and it's quite fun to see their little adventures. And they're they're yeah. really kind of easy accessible adventures that maybe take it two, three, four hours, maybe depending on the group. Um, so this will be the last one for first mm-hmm. edition Pathfinder. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what comes after it, whether they keep this format or they move to something yeah. new. Uh, for for those of our listeners that do not know, Tom is heavily involved in the Pathfinder Society, which is why he's privy to so much of this stuff. Um, to if, if, people, level. <laughs> yep, if people are interested in Pathfinder Society, where can they check that out? So uh, if you want to look at the, the, the source, you can go to Paisel's website. They've got loads of information on there. Uh, but if you want to see what's happening in Scotland, you've got the Scottish Pathfinder Society mm-hmm. uh, or any kind of Pathfinder Society in your local area. Um, it's worldwide, so there's lodges in just about every country. Mm-hmm. Um, so just look up your, your local area for Pathfinder Society information. Uh, and if you just want to get into it with your mates, mm-hmm. um, then by all means, jump on Pezos sites. There's information about the new beta there as well for them. So, But I definitely, if you're doing the free tabletop day, check that one out because I bet it'll be a good laugh. Mm, sounds good. And speaking of tabletop day, uh, as far as events in Scotland go, it looks as though Dwarf are going to be running the big one this year. Looks that way, yeah. Yeah, they've, they've, they've got designers, they, they've got all sorts going on there. So if you're in the Dunfermline area, go and check it out. I believe it's at the Del Farquharson Centre, which is their, their usual haunt. Um, but it, unfortunately, we will not be there. We'll not be able to make it, but... If you're free on International Tabletop Day, it looks as though that's going to be the big one for the Central Belt. So, you you um, got any idea or anything else that's coming out for the Free Tabletop Day? Have you seen anything? Any- I haven't seen anything yet, but I do know that quite a few companies do promo cards and that sort of thing. Yeah, I know. I've I've been kind of I play the the Pathfinder card game on the side, and they've been releasing like a promo card every year, and I've tried to kind of get hold of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually quite interesting. They're usually goblin themed as well, yeah. really enough to just to. It's to a strange it. one because the most of the retailers do something for International Tabletop Day, but it, it doesn't seem as though it's b- quite been fully adopted by everybody yet yeah I think they had when it first came out it was like a boom and everyone kind of went a bit mad for it and it kind yeah. of simmered and it's, it's reached kind of a, a comfortable level yeah. but I know not everyone kind of pushed it I think it's a space factor as well because do you really want to get that material in if you can't then use it in store so I don't yeah. know if maybe that's a, a factor yeah it's I, I don't I don't think I've ever actually attended an international tabletop day event and it's just unfortunate that um, Charlotte and myself are going to be going away mm. And, and won't be available for International Tabletop Day because I, I do feel somewhat duty-bound <laughs> with Unlucky Frog to, to be checking that stuff out. But um, it, it's something I would like to see grow a bit more. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that Dwarf seem to have the right idea, you know, because they, they're going to be running all sorts of events. They've got game designers coming in. They're, they're, you know, they're doing the works. It's not like they're just doing organised play stuff for it. I mean, the way you've got half of it set up for you, because they're already promoting it, so all you need to do is say, hey, we're doing stuff for this, and you've got people coming yeah. in the door pretty much for free promotion. Mm-hmm. And So that's the right way to do it, just ride that wave. I think so. That's how I yeah. do it. <laughs> um, as far as other news this week, the Ideneth Deepkin, the new um, faction for Age of Sigmar, will be hitting the shelves. Yeah, they're looking good. You know a bit more about them. Than yeah, um, yeah. We, I, I've been, uh, I've been keeping an eye on them. They're, they're pretty out there as far as um, stuff that Games Workshop 
as done goes. They look a bit like a cross between sort of Pirates of the Caribbean meet the Dark Elves. That kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, I mean, they're really. It's one of these. It really. It, it's a sort of marmite scenario for a lot of people okay. because people go, well, "Why? Why are they flying? They're sea creatures," <laughs> and it's oh, it's because of magic. It's always magic. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so some people are are totally willing to accept that, and then other people are like that. I really, I've seen the um, where. Where's your science? The sunken ship thing. Yeah. I, I love scenery. It's always been one of my jams, yeah. and that is a beautiful bit. Of Did kit. you like, you like that? I love it. Yeah, I think it's really nice. Are you going to tell me like this is getting like cast out or something now? It does look like it should be in a fish tank, but yeah, it's a nice fish tank. <laughs> yeah, it it would be it would be in a well well kept fish yeah, tank. Yeah, you know, that's like a middle class up fish tank. Yeah, and at first glance, because this is a criticism a lot of people have made of it is that, oh, it just looks like an aquarium ornament. Why, <laughs> why, why am I paying that for that? But you know, there, there's lots of little fishes swimming through it there's a lot of That's detail it. that you would miss at think, first glance i think just looking at it on a web page you're not going to see the the detail but i think yeah. it's, it's a big bit of kit mm-hmm. so if you've got that in person painted up well and you're looking at it up close yeah you're going to see a lot of detail there that, that yeah. you would miss otherwise so i'm holding judgment back on it until i see it but it's a bit of a kit that i mm. might pick up if i if i get the chance i mean they look set to be a very popular faction mm. to, to put this into perspective the the fire slayer Age of Sigmar group on Facebook has just shy of 1,500 members. Okay. Fire Slayers have been out for about two years now. Uh, Ideneth Deepkin have 1,700 wow. already. Okay. So I, I think they're going to be big. I think so you're these, see these a Facebook factions have like a bit of a rivalry going on? Is there a bit of sniping or is it. I d- they might do, but the, there's an Age of Sigmar fan network that's tried to bring them all into okay. the fold because they're all run by different admins. Right, okay, um, okay. But And a lot of people are members of multiple because. It's it, not exclusive, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I expect there's some people that um, have a, a deep and irrational hatred a of West Side these, Story yeah. of Warhammer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But. Um, I I think I think they're going to be popular. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of them, and I I think they are, in a lot of ways, going to change how the game's played because they've got the tides of death rules. Okay. And uh, they have a different effect each turn. Okay. Which means that there's a rhythm to playing them. Do they have a control of that effect or a knowledge of that effect? Or is it a random? They, they have, no, it's not random. Okay. It's set effects. Okay, so it kind each of... turn. So that's so there. There's a set rhythm to oh, okay. it. Okay. Which you can take advantage of, mm-hmm. but also a clever opponent Knows can also coming. work around. Okay, yeah. that's quite clever. So, and it's this idea of them being the tides. You right. know, there's a rhythm to the tides. There's okay. a rhythm to the deepkin. That's an interesting mechanic. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm trying to avoid buying more stuff. <laughs> I mean, they they look fantastic, but I, I'm if nothing else, I'm really looking forward to playing against so them. Just I'm seeing just how... setting up an aquarium, Charlotte. That's fine, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. a module. Yeah, I, I don't think she's going to buy that. <laughs> yeah, she knows. So next week, um, I'm not a tabletop day either, unfortunately. Nope. Um, so I'm doing a Call of Cthulhu game. Yes. So this is my my sort of new thing. Uh, is I'm I'm trying out Call of Cthulhu Seventh uh, Edition. Um, so I've been playing a few games uh, a friend of mine, uh, Matt, runs it online mm-hmm. uh, fantastic GM very, very creepy um, even with online play, you think kind of, you know you're comfortable, you're in your in your bedroom playing online on Roll20 or whatever um, quite a comfortable environment but very creepy games mm-hmm. um, first sort of mini campaign we played, we're playing members of sort of a military organisation okay. in the modern day that are dealing with the Cthulhu mythos 
Um, so it's modern so day as opposed to... It's modern day rather than kind of the classic... Uh, sort roaring of 19, 20s. Yeah, yeah, 1920s, 1930s aesthetic. Um, and you think with all the military hardware behind you, you kind of run it, you know, it's just a, a run home, but mm-hmm. it's not. Um, my my character in the recent one uh, died in an explosion, uh, which was, was tragic, um, running away from a monster. So, you know, didn't get killed by the monster, yeah. did get killed by the explosion. Um, so I'm running my first game on Saturday um, for a few friends. Okay. Um, but I'm going for a 1980s aesthetic. Oh, um, a little bit Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thinking kind of a bit Stranger Things, um, kind of playing on that sort of surrealism of the 80s as well, coming off the back of the 70s. Yeah. Um, and that kind of pre-90s buzz, so not quite figured out how I'm going to... Slightly dystopian as yeah, well. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. That kind of... Um, uh, Blade Runner sort of style yeah, kind yeah. of thing to it, but but in the eighties. Um, so I'm just sort of working out the kinks in that at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. So, what what else have we been up to tonight? We played Lords of Waterdeep. Played some Lords of Waterdeep, yeah. So, the reason that I decided to to play Lords of Waterdeep is way back in December we did our twenty five days. Of of gaming, yep. In the in the run up to Christmas, and mm-hmm. each day we picked a tabletop game mm-hmm. that uh, one or several of us within the team enjoy. And one of the days it was Lords of Waterdeep, and you you mentioned that you never played it, uh-huh. and you really want to. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's completely up my street. Yeah. I love I love that kind of game. Um, I love Forgotten Realms. You know, it's close enough to D anD D that it's it's well in my ballpark. Yeah. Um, so I was really excited to get to play it. Yeah. Were you so, guys tonight? So it's. I think we said it's probably about six years old now. It's it been, must be coming up. So, yeah. It's been around for a while, um, and it still stands up pretty well in in this day and age where it seems like those sorts of games are being churned out. Yeah, I mean the market's saturated with with games now because they've got this kind of renaissance of popularity. But yeah. but on its own, I mean the artwork's fantastic. The the narrative behind it's really intriguing. You know, if you even if you don't know anything about it, it draws you in. Um, and I think it's it's a really compelling game to play. I mean, I had a great time, yeah. and it's not too long either. It's a good, good length game. You know, you're not. It's got a sort of finite time scale to it, so it's not one of those games that you're going to be there for for six yeah. hours. It's not uh, a zombie yeah. situation from. Uh... Oh, <laughs> sorry. To... Yeah, I, I think yeah, it's bringing it back. <laughs> uh, I'm going to need to go for counselling. <laughs> But no, I, that that's a great point actually about Lords of Waterdeep that it is just the right length yeah. for a game like that because because a lot of um, a lot of resource management worker placement games can be a drag. Yeah, they can be a slog. I think you can hit a point where the game could realistically come to a close. Yeah, but it can drag on for you know yeah. another three, four, five turns, which can effectively be hours. You know, yeah. whereas Lords of Waterdeep puts a very very tight scale on it. And obviously, that's going to get a bit bigger if you've got more players because you've got more people to go yeah. around, but. Otherwise, that's fairly... It's very slick. Uh, And even because you don't actually have to refer to the rulebook very often. Mm. Obviously, we've played it a number of times, Charlotte and myself, but even, like, it's been over a year since I played it. Mm. I had a quick glance at the setup, and then that was it. You came back to it. Because it's one of those games where it's just do what it says in the card I think yeah I think if the gameplay is fairly intuitive um, the information's on the cards and especially mm. if you've got someone who's got even just a working knowledge of it yeah you're, you're going to fly for it and I mean the, the rulebook's hardly a tome it's it's a pamphlet really so yeah. it gives you an idea of how simplistic it is yeah it's a great game and 
I, I don't think it, it gets anywhere near as much praise as it deserves. Definitely. So, other games I've been playing. So we jump. We jumped back into the Arkham Horror card game base set, mm-hmm. the Night of the Zealot campaign. Okay. So what's what's the deal there? What's the narrative to it? So you are trapped in your study okay. and can't find a way out. I've had that so many times. Yeah, it happens <laughs> to me all the time. Um, you finally find your way out and you meet this, she can only be described as a lunatic called Lita Chandler. Okay. Who, <laughs> who tells you, spoilers, you have to burn your house down. Right? <laughs> yeah. Sure. So there's like, you know, all, all sorts of nasty stuff's happening. It's Lovecraft. You know, okay. there's like ghouls scurrying about the house and all that. So we have to set fire to your house. Okay. So depending on. Of course. How, but th- this is the really cool thing is it's a card game, but at the end of each uh, cycle, I suppose. Well, I, should, I shouldn't say cycle. It's a living card game. So a cycle means the whole damn thing. Okay. But at the end of each chapter. Um, you get to essentially make a choice. Okay. Uh, it's a little bit like a choose your own adventure in okay. that respect. Um, and the, those choices that you make have consequences to the next game. So is that consequences to your next game or to the campaign as a whole? What's the like? Is it sort of does it affect you personally, or do you like both? It could be both. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So um, when we chose to burn my house down. I suffered mental trauma for that. I mean, it's not the best, yeah. yeah. Like, all, all my stuff went up in flames, <laughs> you know. But my stamp the, collection. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> all my magic cards. <laughs> yeah, <good. laughs> but um, because we set fire to the house, Lita's like, these are my kind of guys. So you get her okay. card as an ally. Right, okay. Whereas the first time we played it, we were like, you know... You are one crazy bitch. <laughs> I'm not setting fire to my house. And it meant we didn't get her as an ally. Okay. Um, and she's a very good ally because she, she buffs your damage against monsters. So is, this co- is it cooperative? It's cooperative. And is it how many players is that? So the, the core set gives you enough to play it with two. Okay. But I, I think if you've got more core sets, you can well, scale it up. Get, yeah, yeah. So are you playing against sort of a core deck? or You play against an encounter deck. So okay. it's a lot like the Lord of the Rings card game, mm-hmm. if you've ever played that. Yeah, yeah. Very, very story-driven. So okay. for people that that absolutely have to have a competitive element to their mm. game, it's maybe not for them. Yeah. But um, I, I I love um, being confronted with this horrible challenge and yeah. then having to work together as a team. Yeah. Uh, and this is the same guys who do the Arkham Horror, Eldritch Horror, Elder Sign, all that cup of tea. Yeah, yeah it's, it's Fantasy Flight, so, so it's same the same team. quality of... Same artwork That's a lot good. of the times. Um, it, it's a phenomenal card game. I can't recommend it enough. Okay. But we we actually managed to complete the whole campaign in the base set. Okay. Um, by throwing Lita under the bus. Okay. So in the in the last uh, chapter of the of this night of the zealot story, you have to try and disrupt this ritual. Okay. And if you don't do it in time this eldritch horror appears he's like this malevolent god you know standard standard yeah standard lovecraft yeah um but you get this choice if you have lita as an ally he's like hold on a minute this thing's after her and you throw her into the the monster okay and you win the game that's cool it's cool but horrifying yeah (laughs) And so it, it was quite funny because 
I knew that I had Lita in my deck, mm-hmm. so I was cycling through my cards to try and get her. Okay. Charlotte had this whole other plan, because it's one of these things where you're limited in the information you can share with each other. Right, okay. Um, so she didn't know what I was trying to do. Okay. Charlotte's trying to disrupt this ritual, mm-hmm. but can't do it, and then feels defeated, and then I go, but it's okay, I've got Lita, we can throw her at the monster! We're going to win. We're going to be okay. And Charlotte said it just didn't feel like a victory for her. Ah. Because her whole little plan unraveled. Yeah. But at the same time, that epitomises the Lovecraft that universe. Is, yeah, that's definitely mythos, you know. So it's all your plans, all that's important to you, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's inconsequential. Yeah, you're nothing. The deck's stacked against you from the word go. Yeah. So. So is that is that the end of the narrative for that? That's the end of that narrative. I think Fantasy Flight are releasing a box set called Return to Night of the Zealot. Okay. That's going to expand upon that. Okay. Um so I'm I'm quite interested to Lisa's gonna get a payback. Yeah. <laughs> Yo Ben. <laughs> about that buzz. Do you remember that time you threw me at that monster? <laughs> I survived. <laughs> but it, it's it's gonna be good um seeing them expand upon existing story, but we do have the Dunwich legacy that we're gonna dive into at some okay. point. And I'm really looking forward to playing that. Um, it's fast becoming one of my favourite games. On the on the the subject of uh, Mythos, actually, I picked up the uh, Omens of the Pharaoh for Elder Sign, mm-hmm. um, which is all about sort of the Egyptian side of things. So you actually go to Egypt in that, and I, oh, I love cool. I love yeah. Egypt. Um, it's just a wee expansion for um, Elder Sign, and that's that's really really good yeah. as well. A lot of narrative sort of elements to it. I have only played the digital version of Elder Sign. Okay. Never played the the physical. I love it. I've, I've got all the the expansions for it. Um, yeah. And Omens of the Pharaoh has has probably been one of my favourites so far. As as far as as the sort of Cthulhu mythos games go, it's pretty simple and streamlined. I'd say it's probably the. I, I don't know about Arkham Horror as a card game, but I know compared to Arkham Horror, the the full game and even Eldritch Horror to a lesser degree yeah. um, it's probably the quicker one although yeah. I did play Eldritch Horror for the first time recently and I really enjoyed that we still talk about that one game of Arkham Horror we had as, as yeah. the benchmark of terrible planning for a yeah. game well when we talk about um, entry level gaming I think Arkham Horror is maybe one that's yeah. want to pull that one back for a little bit yeah. and maybe start with something that's soft because that was Amy's first games night it was yeah Yeah. I'm surprised she, she came back yeah. <laughs> she did brave yeah but, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, but because we, we were talking about that um, in the polyhedron collider panel at Aircon, okay, that that came up because it, um, the question that was put to the panel was, "Is there any time that you've just thrown in the towel with a game?" <laughs> and and then I mentioned that one. Yeah, we we decided it would be a great idea for my friend's girlfriend's first game night to play an eight man game of Arkham Horror. And the whole place just erupted in laughter. Yeah, ill decisions, really. Yeah, that that says it all. I That's think. a lesson learned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a bit of a laugh, but not fair. No, <laughs> no. It's like the fear of God. Yeah, um, fear of gods. Gods, yeah, elder uh, gods. Yeah, as it were. So, entry level gaming. Mm. We've talked about this before. We have, yeah. It's. I. I feel like it's something that it, it seems so obvious but I, I feel like it's very often overlooked. I think so yeah I think it's in any form of gaming um, and especially in, in the board gaming uh, genre um, it's it's essential um, to, you can't just chuck people in at the deep end 
No. Um, you know, it's using that Arkham Horror game as an example. You know, if you introduce someone to something that complex with that much depth to it as their their first sort of run at that, they're just going to run screaming. Yeah. Um, and with with role playing games as well, it's the same. You know, if you get a really complex or niche game that's got a lot of um, complexities or idiosyncrasies to it, it's just it's just going to drive you away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the um, role playing is an interesting example because. Uh, Charlotte and myself, uh, we, we've had a few false starts with D and D, but we've we've recently been doing the, this campaign mm-hmm. um, that's been running for several months now. Um, but we took a little break. I, I think I think this was around the time that we last had you on the podcast. Okay. We took a little break to try out the Legend of the Five Rings beta. Yep. Okay. See, going from D and D to that, it was tremendously complex. Like, so Legends is quite a complex it game. It's quite complex, yeah. I know I've I did a few Oriental style games back in back in the day, um, and they used sort of uh, is it Rokugan? I think it's called the setting for Legends of the Five. Yeah, because I I think I think it has its origins in D and D. Yeah, and there's a lot of kind of honor and sort of cultural elements alone, yeah. and that's before you even bring in the gameplay that, that yeah. sort of en- envelops but, uh, that. Bushido's a, a game mechanic within yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think yeah, if you were coming into that, you know, fresh off the boat, so to speak, yeah. it's a lot to take on. Yeah. I mean, not only are you looking at the, the cultural elements and how that's impacted on the rules, but then you've got this breadth of, of content to it and this breadth of rules sort of I mean, density. It's a, it's a great point, isn't it? Because well, you could argue that you know we go to these alien worlds all the time, but for for most people in the West, medieval fantasy is more relatable than Japan. Oh, easily, easily, hands down. I mean, you. You you're not just taking sort of a, a time jump and a, a, a you know difference in in setting. You're taking a cultural yeah. difference. So you're not just having to deal with it as you know Ben playing a dwarf in a medieval setting. Yeah. You're Ben playing a, a, a sort of historical Asian figure. So you're you're well out of your depth. Yeah. You know on that. I mean, fair enough. You're not actually a dwarf, um, <laughs> contrary to popular belief. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you heard it here first. <laughs> But it's you know it is a, a massive adjustment, and if you want to do that that system and that setting any kind of sort of uh, justice, you you want to play it as close to. Um, so I think I don't know how the rules for for Legend uh, the Five Rings work, but I think if that is a more complex system, adding that on top of yeah the cultural element, that's a lot to take in for someone brand new. I mean, if you're someone who's massively invested in that kind of culture and that mm-hmm. kind of historical lore, you might be more inclined. Those people are, are, I think, a minority. Yeah, they are. Say, you're you're yeah. not going to get the guys like, right, I'm, I'm super into like Japanese history and culture, but I also want to get into role-playing games. Yeah. Uh, well... Have I got the game for you? <laughs> <laughs> so, one, one, the, the reason that this has been at the forefront of, of our thinking at the moment is because I went to Compulsion mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. And it it advertises itself as a, a role playing convention, mm-hmm. but for for me there was a a very apparent absence of any of those entry level games. Mm-hmm. So to to take a step back from compulsion and look at gaming on a wider level, what what is what is the importance of having entry level gaming? For the for the wider gaming culture, do you think? I think it's about um, 
it's prosperity to a degree. Um, you know, if if you don't have beginners come in, you're not going to get that that new enthusiasm. You're not going to get the new members and the new people coming into the hobby, be it role playing or board gaming. Um, you know, it's it's a recruitment aspect mm. of bringing people into the hobby, getting them involved in it, getting them invested. And then maybe they'll splinter off to, to more niche mm-hmm. or more specialized systems that are closer to perhaps what they want in the long run. Um, I know when I was heavily involved in the organized play side of things, um, one of the things we really did have to be mindful of was, are we getting new people in the door? Are they getting excited when they're in the games? Or are they just sitting with a sort of look of confused horror um, <laughs> as you're just you know dropping like bombs about lore and rules and so you had to kind of take a step back from that and say you know you don't have to take it all in just enjoy the experience mm-hmm. um, and keep it as rules light as you can uh i've i've ran games at conventions for kids um mm-hmm. and you can't sit a kid down and be like you're a fighter you had plus eight to your uh, your long sword attacks and if you power attack you take minus two off that and get to add and they're just going to look at you like you've gone one mental and two are possibly trying to sneak some school into their weekend. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, because there there is a lot of inevitably there's in a lot of these games there there's a huge mathematical element. Mm-hmm. I guess um, it's hard to avoid it. Yeah, because it's in video games the the, the machine does all of the arithmetic for yeah. you, but in tabletop, someone's got to sit down and work out how it all happens it, yeah. so it's it's without sounding super nerdy it's reminding people that numbers can be fun yeah <laughs> it is, it's, you've, you've got to I think you've got to sort of keep the numbers in the background at least initially yeah. and sort of um, cover them up you know with just a thin veil sort of say they're there they're they're going to be important, but don't worry about them right now. Yeah. Look at look at the cool shiny over yeah. here, you know, and, and and not trick them in that way, but you know, kind of uh, get them enticed, excited about it that way. Yeah. Um. As far as competitive games go, because this is a whole other issue, mm. and in a lot of ways, you the the issue of being beginner friendly is an easier one to approach. For role-playing games and cooperative games, yeah, because it's it's just being smart about how you introduce these concepts. Definitely, yeah. But with with games like Age of Sigmar, Forty K, Magic: The Gathering, where they've got this huge following, and at certain levels they can be extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you walked into uh, say geek retreat and you you happened to say to some of the guys that I, I want to learn to play magic and it just so happens that you asked uh, some of the super competitive players yeah. to introduce you to the game that could be a huge turn off for you right away straight away yeah I mean unless you particularly enjoy a spanking uh, in yeah. the magic context, you're you're not going to get the experience you want. I mean, imagine those people are out there. That's probably. I mean, that's a niche in of itself. Like, yeah. That's a niche in a niche. A... Um, but yeah, that's it's not the way I'd want to be introduced to any kind of competitive. You know, yeah. this is a game. Watch me kick you up and down the aisles with it. And I think, for the most part, whenever I've tried a new game, I've been quite fortunate in that it's someone who was quite keen to to teach me. 
the core concept, but also make sure I have a nice time yeah. while I'm doing that. I think in in that situation, there's almost a, an obligation on the person who's bringing it, or the people that are bringing you into yeah. it, to take a step back from their competitive yeah. nature and sort of say, well, you know, I might want to win, and I might win, mm-hmm. but I, I want to make sure this person has a good time first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you've got a game like Magic or, or Age of Sigmar, you've you need to dial back not just the competitive elements but maybe some of the more complex elements as well mm-hmm. you know you don't want to be hitting out with you know keywords left right and center and no. all these things that are just going to bury people down um i think companies like um magic um well, wizards do do sort of like the starter decks as well that do give you kind of a soft yeah intro which is quite good and, and wizards have always had their uh, not wizards uh, games workshop have always had their starter boxes yeah. that sort of strip out some of the more complex elements and just ease you into it well I know most of the starter boxes that Games Workshop have at the moment for Age of Sigmar do not um, have wizards in them no magic no magic okay because that's a whole other layer to the game okay um, which which I agree with I think because it's like it's like you say that you, you can teach the core concepts of a game without throwing an example of every single room mm-hmm. within the game. And there's, pro- there's probably, I dare say, a lot of mechanics within Magic that you don't need to be thrown out there right away. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, certainly with Pokemon, uh, the card game, I, I wouldn't, you know, be throwing GX Pokemon and, uh, you know, and the, you know, special trainer cards and all that and right You're away. Well, on my ballpark, I haven't touched Pokemon since I was at like secondary yeah. school. So or it's well like, changed. Is it, is it a Charizard? Yes or no? <laughs> that's like no, my. Because you've got Mega Evolutions and all that now, but that, but that's a great example. Yeah. Because even like someone coming back to a game. Yeah. And you go. Right, okay, we're going to mega evolve this Pokemon, and then we're going to make sure that you've got your EX Pokemon there, and you can play them right away, and then you get your ability there. You'd be like, what? I mean, even even Magic as well. Magic's uh, Magic's done some basic sets, like the Magic Origin set was quite a simple set. Um, so if you came in at that, that's going to be fairly accessible for you. If you then came back down the line in sort of the, I think it was the Innistrad set had the, a kind of a transform mechanic, mm-hmm. a bit like the Mega Evolve. Yeah. Um, if you've only played Origins. And you then come back and people start flipping cards on you, mm-hmm. and you know now I'm I'm this massive thing. You're just gonna be like, what? Yeah. I'm tapping my land. I'm playing. You know, it's what one of the things that I think is really interesting about the entry level activity is it all it's almost exclusively falls to the big AAA companies to do this. Mm-hmm. And and me and uh, Dave Wright from Tabletop Scotland were talking about this because it. You know, for for all people do hate on them for a lot of things, they are imperative to recruitment. Mm-hmm. These big companies, yeah. Because how how often do do you see an independent uh, developer on Kickstarter saying, "Right, I've designed this as a gateway game." Yeah, it's it, it's designed deliberately to introduce core concepts to a lot of popular games that will spark interest. Mm-hmm in the hobby and hopefully get people playing other games I think the, the big difference is they've the bigger companies have got the time and they've got the money and they've got the resources mm-hmm. to, to put those starter sets out to put those those organised play formats out that have some sort of beginners academy or some sort of you know soft intro mm-hmm. to it um, you know if you look at sort of um, some of the more niche bought, uh, sort of war games like your uh, Malifaux mm-hmm. um, and things like that they don't really have a lot in the way of starter sets as such mm-hmm. 
Um, certainly not soft starter sets that I've seen. It's always kind of like just the set, you know, a base set. There's no kind of stripped out version sure. of it. Yeah, no. Because as a company, you know, you're not you're not going to get the profit that you would get from from that core set that the others can afford to maybe take that that hit. Yeah. Um, you know, just to to get people to dip their toe in and then see if yeah. they they want to splash out. Yeah, because more more often than not, like you say, with those starter sets, although it's here's here's all you need to play the game. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty clever business on their part because it's also the skeleton mm-hmm. that you need to start yeah. an army or a card collection yeah. or whatever. So I, I remember um, bit of, bit of a sad story, but when I worked at Games Workshop, we used to do sort of the the base painting set that have you know sort of five models yeah. that have a unit of Space Marines and some basic paints, and it'd be like, no, this is all you need to kind of start painting. Um, and you'd get the the kid whose parents have bought them it for their birthday or whatever, and they'd then come in to sort of a big gaming event with their five marines and be like, "I'm ready to play," and you're like, mm, "Not quite ready." Uh, <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, I, I like your enthusiasm, and you'd you'd get them in. You know, you'd give them some models to use yeah. and that. But um, I think it's important that people know what they need to kind of come in with. Yeah. Um, so it is. It's got to be telegraphed. I think that kind of entry level stuff as well. Yeah, well advertised. Yeah. Which, in in fairness to most of these bigger companies, that that is, it's plastered all over their, yeah. you know, the 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 shops or the the packs that they send out to. Yeah, it's the these get stores. start here, play with your buddy. It's like yeah. the the Arkham Horror card game you were talking about. You know, that's two people, straight out the gate, ready to play. Yeah. And it says, you know, there's two people. You want more, you're gonna have to. Yeah. Get a bit more. So yeah. It's telegraphed. That's it. Um, and I th- I think. One of the things that's maybe worth mentioning is don't be a snob. Yeah. Because the, there's a tremendous amount of snobbery within these hobby game communities. Yeah. Um, particularly, I think, towards some of the more quote-unquote mainstream games. Um, you, see, you see it all the time uh, among wargaming towards uh, games like uh, 40k. Yeah, an age of Sigmar. Yeah, I think it's 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 a shame, really, because even if it's not maybe what you want to play anymore, it's not necessarily what you want to be involved in. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to say that someone else isn't going to enjoy that, and that that entry into that hobby, be it via 40k or Age of Sigmar or D and D or Pathfinder, isn't then going to lead to that player coming into your your yeah. player pool. You know, they might then turn around and go, actually, I want to go and play obscure game A. Or you know, I want to go and play this this role playing game that uses ridiculously complex Bushido rules. You know, they mm. <laughs> they might have their their own kind of interests that spiral off. Yeah, and unfortunately, in a in a hobby that's quite attractive to people that tend to be quite intellectual, intellectual people, I I feel, in a lot of ways, behave in much the same way as the like a high school jock does. Mm-hmm. Only instead of where the high school jock lords his physicality over people he deems inferior, nerds do it with their intellect I'm and their knowledge. Sure. I, I think knowledge is probably more than intellect. It's not necessarily they're, they're smarter. It's that they know more about this yeah. specific... Well, the two are confused, aren't yeah, they? So yeah. it's like, if I know more than you, that means I'm smarter. Yeah. I, like, I know quite a lot about Pathfinder. I know quite a lot about Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. I can't, however prescribe drugs and penicillin i don't know anything about how to put a computer together you know i'm yeah. not i'm not intellectual in that context uh-huh. so it's it's a very sort of 
um, specific situation that mm-hmm. they have that knowledge of. And I think they do lord that over people and, and almost put up barriers. You know, you can't talk to me because you're not a, a grade six D&D dungeon master. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're a measly grade one. And th- this is where I feel that individuals are putting up barriers to themselves. And mm-hmm. the, in the long run, they're shooting themselves in the foot because yeah. what's going to happen eventually... People see you talking like that; they're just not going to want to play with you. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, you, you and I, we we've met people like that that we just avoid. Yeah, you you avoid them like the plague. And I mean, we're we're not even at the entry level. So if if they're putting people off who are, at the very least, competent, you know, what are they doing to people that have nothing at all to go off? And if you see that as your first entry point into a hobby, mm. into any kind of community, that's a that's going to be a, a sour taste. But this is the thing that's quite frustrating is like it or not, those people are also ambassadors for our hobbies. That's true. And it's um, maybe, you know, if, if, you're, if you have a relationship with that person, maybe having a quiet word with them about checking their attitude. Yeah. Check yourself. <laughs> Check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> that's the name of the episode. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Right, well, I think that's all we've got time for at the moment. uh, Thank you once again for joining us on the podcast, Tom. Always a pleasure. Uh, Always a pleasure to have you. And I'm I'm sure we'll hear from you again in the future. Whether you like it or not. Yeah. Just at the window, screaming. Yeah. Can I be on again? (laughs) Let me in! (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, Well, thank you for listening, folks, wherever you are. And... I've been your host, Ben Porter. You've been listening to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Hi guys, it's uh, Josh from the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast here. Thanks for listening to us, and now be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for the Unlucky Frog Gaming. Uh, You can also show your support for Unlucky Frog through Patreon. Be sure to check out our website, www.unluckyfrog.com, to find out more. Was that so hard? (laughs) Look... (laughs) 